You awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So is my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God! Why don't you tell me a story? How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Oh, hang on. Uh, you have a guitar. Okay, so I must have tipped my hat. It's rock and roll bedtime stories. We exist to uh, lay waste to rumor and innuendo around your favorite songs and bands. And a lot of times when we start the show, we don't tell each other whoever's prepared for the day. Like today, I'm telling a story. I, I, I don't tell Murdoch what we're going to do. We just start. And uh, so I was testing the levels on something, and I accidentally played the song. And then all of a sudden, I, the next thing I, I know, Murdoch's got a guitar. And he's like, dude, I'm ready. So go for it, man. If this is how we're going to introduce, let's go. Got a picture of your house And you're standing by the door It's black and white and faded And it's looking pretty warm See the factory that I worked Bring it Silhouetted in the back Memories are gray, but man, they're really coming back. There's a bridge, and it's, uh, oh yeah. I don't need to be the king of the world. As long as I'm the hero of this little girl. Heaven isn't too far away. Do you know, I saw them once. They were excellent, and they blew the headliner off the stage because those girls came to see that band. Hilariously, oh. one of the first things I wanted to cover with you was I'm just I'm just blown away by the fact that you you just did that. Um, no, so what one of the first things I wanted to cover with you was Have you seen Warrant live? That first big tour, they opened up for Motley Crue, and they were all dressed in white. And I thought they were like I thought most of those songs were terrible. I did like that song and then uncle tom's cabin i thought was like a terrific song but all the rest of it i just thought was just terrible and the reason that motley crew like people were just kind of looking at each other because uh justin sinkovich who was on our um uh, rock and roll bedtime stories like over the the holidays he saw the same show i did in murfreesboro tennessee and motley crew kept going they kept saying how's it going nashville and everyone's like that's like 35 minutes away ah uh, one of those that's yeah yeah it's like wrong name on the stage it's funny that you mentioned that the chicks were there to see this band because the story we're going to talk about is specifically i mean we're going to get into Janie lane because i don't think you can talk about warrant without talking about Janie lane and there's so much stuff on the internet about Janie Lane because he's a really polarizing figure who some people really, really, really love and feel passionately about and some people kind of care about the other guys in Warrant and so there's like oh, like just doing this research there's just so much weird stuff that we'll get to later of like just artifacts that exist one of them being like Bobby Brown's book that she wrote like have you read Bobby Brown's book? Uh, no, um, but I, I know who she is clearly, and I know how that all happened. Honestly, way, surprised you haven't read Bobby Brown's book. I read excerpts of it in preparation for this. Bobby is yeah. is in this story, kind of, but we're actually talking about a different Warrant song. We're talking about a Warrant, a very specific song, and the story behind the song. Because remember, we talk about how this is about bands and songs and rumors, and this really brings all of that together. Your eyes open, my heart 
just spilled onto the floor. I love that you're going so deep that we're going to talk about this one singular song. And we could have easily just talked about Janie Lane being on multiple reality TV shows. So that was part of his that happened. I, I think that comes up, right? I think when we talk about this, that's going to come up. But where we're really going to spend most of our time is not talking about cherry pie and not talking about the drugs and alcohol, um, but talking about his mental health. And the particular lyrical content of I Saw Red, this is one of the classic examples of there being a lot of lore around a particular tune. I mean, before we get all the way there, let's let's set it up. Because there might be somebody who's like, dude, I've never really heard Warrant. Now that you say Cherry Pie, I've probably heard that in a bowling alley, but I don't, you know. I mean, how would you summarize it? If somebody was to ask you about Warrant, give me like the elevator pitch on Warrant and Janie Lane. They were like very glammy pop metal and they were huge and their big record was called Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinking, Rich and it had Heaven on it. That was a number one hit. Like, they toured with Motley Crue and it's it's like when Guns N' Roses toured with Aerosmith and Guns N' Roses had the number one song in America that happened to... Right to warrant they became like number one and the other thing that happened with them was that cherry pie that video that had bobby brown who you referred to in it was a complete manufacture of not the band so basic you know they they walked onto the set and Janie lane realized like he was going to be like this cartoony thing and just kind of have to deal with it you know and then he ended up having a relationship with the girl that was in the, the video um and then he had a really complicated relationship with substance abuse and everything where it was kind of like like how lane staley was eventually like kind of mocked is lane the vein or whatever right because uh, uh janie went out as a solo artist you know and and tried to and tried to do everything but um, they were like a real pop, pop metal band. So that's really it. I don't know. That so sounds good. That, that was a long elevator pitch, but I expected nothing less. Uh, let's <laughs> real quickly. Let's mention the timing, right? So it's very late '80s when they hit, and they hit hard. And it doesn't give them a lot of room or a lot of time to be pop metal because pop metal is not very popular for very far into the '90s. So you really have this huge firework of a career uh and it it runs for like three or four years and then Janie runs off to try solo stuff and they never really regain but they've been playing together uh, i mean different versions of the band some with and without Janie at different points have have been playing together for years and years into the well into the 2000s and the mid 2000s yeah, for 20 over 25 years so yeah. a, a couple interesting things about Janie lane that i did not know first of all is born in akron ohio so there's that. Um, and his parents named him, his last, his real last name is uh, Oswald. And according to his autobiography, his parents were huge JFK fans. And oh. it was 64 when he was born. And they named him John Kennedy Oswald. <laughs> Wow, that's really weird. And so they, I guess someone pointed out to them that that was super weird and they shouldn't do that, given that, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald killed JFK. Um, And so they changed their son's name to John Patrick Oswald. This almost sounds fake to me, but this is coming from his autobiography, so take it with whatever that's worth. Um, 
And then he he started playing drums at age six. And he claims he started playing wow. in clubs at age 11. Again, some of this is coming from him. And he is a very big, outsized personality. So um, he used the stage name Mitch Dynamite, which I love. Um, <laughs> so so uh, the question becomes, why Janie Lane, right? I mean, it, it's he literally spells it J-A-N-I. Now, the story is, do you know why Janie Lane has his stage no. name? No, I'm ready. So after high school, he played in a cover band called Dorian Gray, which is a great name for a band. Um, yeah. One of my favorite novels. Uh, and then he, they basically hear that in 85, like all of the action for what they want to do is happening in on the Sunset Strip. So they move to Hollywood and they start a glam punk band, which I would love to hear, called Plain Jane. And okay. I, I think is like trying to play into that he starts spelling his first name he he goes by johnny but he spells his first name j-a-n-i yeah that's weird which is which why would anyone look at that and think it was johnny ever and so people assumed since the name of the band was clearly playing jane and the guy in the front was going by j-a-n-i that it was janey and it just ended up sticking as his stage name so he becomes Janie lane and uh, uh, supposedly plain jane even uh opened for guns and roses at one point so I mean, they were actually <laughs> okay. doing things now I, I i hear that you know glam punk which i i don't know what i mean what is a reference point for glam punk i mean is that new york dolls like what yeah okay that so, works for me. Yeah, we'll, we'll say that's what it was. I guess that was not as popular, especially when opening for bands like Guns N' Roses. People were not super receptive. And so they, looking at um, bands like Poison that were getting attention and Warrant, uh, who starts to take off at this time, they start playing uh, pop metal, right? So um, they end up moving to Florida, and he joins he and uh, drummer Steve Sweet, and then he joins Warren. So Warren had started, and then they bring him in, and obviously that's when they really take off at that point. Okay. So, um, <laughs> and he wrote this. He wrote the, he wrote this, the the hits. Make, yeah. like, make no bones about yeah. it. Like and, he was the he was the guy who wrote Down Boys and Heaven uh, is I believe Heaven I think it was Heaven is actually a song that he wrote in Plain Jane. Oh, yeah. Sometimes she cries. That was another one. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I don't want to talk about how much I know about Warrant. Well, it's so funny because I knew as soon as I started planning this, I was like, "What's great about this is Murdoch's going to sound like he's the one that did the research." Um, <laughs> so, so I, I love this. There's a lot about Warrant that I didn't know in terms of how they got to where they were. And I mean, I, I just, I don't feel like there have been enough movies that have, or, or books that I've read that have really delved into this. And I probably just haven't found the right ones. But I'd love to, to be around the record industry and the guys in the suits making the decisions around all the hair metal stuff. Because it really does seem from the outside that they were just buying up all the stock they could, man. I mean, it was like... It was like Redditors on GameStop. I mean, they were just all over anything with makeup and hair that was male. Um, and so there's an interview where Janie Lane, like someone's like, you know, hey, were you always kind of said to be a sellout because you joined Warrant as opposed to sticking with this other stuff you had done. And he was like, dude, we weren't getting paid. We weren't getting laid. We have to do something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so, so they're popular on the Sunset Strip, but then they are not getting any record label attention. And 
I heard this story. Do you know? Do you know the connection of Prince? Yeah, yes. Um, That's where you were headed, they, isn't it? They recorded their demo at Paisley Park. Yeah. So one of the most bizarre musical relationships ever. Uh, a manager introduces Warrant to Prince, and Prince gives them seven grand and lets He's, them record at Paisley Park. Yeah, and and did, he he got money. He got an advance and crashed a car, like something really hilariously. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. So yeah. Prince hears their demo and says, "Well, that singer can't dance, but go ahead and use the demo if you want." Like he basically says, "I'm not putting it out, but you can go ahead and take it to other people." They take the demos. One of them is Game of War, which ends up on the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure soundtrack. <laughs> um, and they're still they're still not getting anything. They almost go back to Florida from the Sunset Strip. And months later, uh, Tom Hullett, who was known for working with bands like the Moody Blues and Three Dog Night, is told, and this is what I mean about, like, let me read the, the book about the record companies at this time. He's basically told to go find a hair metal band. He talks to Doc McGee, who has been a featured person on Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories many times before. McGee says, oh, I got the band for you. It's it's this band Warrant. And so he just like basically on Doc McGee's word, because that's who Doc McGee was. Yeah. Uh, he signs Warrant. And this is the story you're talking about. Janie takes the advance, buys a Corvette and immediately crashes it. <laughs> And Doc McGee manages Motley Crue, and that's how Warrant got on the Motley Crue tour. Right. That's how that worked. Right, 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 right. So let's get to the the specific story that I want to talk about. Um, and this has to do with this song that then comes into uh, being on the Cherry Pie album. During the making of Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinking Rich, it is said that Janie walks in on his then-girlfriend in bed with a close friend. And, you know, different sources, including all music, say that the, uh, which is fairly reputable sometimes, the event was so traumatizing that he, quote, had a nervous breakdown and spent time in a psychiatric hospital, which then delayed the album getting done. Wow. The rumor is that he use that experience and he wrote the song I Saw Red which is very explicitly about this, this I got situation I got, happening I got real angry depending on where you look again this is the thing and why rock and roll bedtime tours, stories exist if different interviews you get different things there are sources that say Janie has always said that this is not a true story and that he had just heard stories of this sort of thing happening to people and he wanted to write a song about it. And so, see, uh, I Saw Red is not actually about a relationship he had. But then there's an interview from 2011 where, and I don't, you know, it's like speculation. Is he just now leaning into it or, or what? But he says, I Saw Red is a true story and quote, I still hate that bitch. Uh, <laughs> wow. Now, then there are a lot of gossip boards like Metal Sludge and Dry Country. Metal Sludge. That, oh, my gosh. Thanks for bringing that back to me. You're okay. welcome. Um, that have some real thoughts on who the people involved in this story are. Because Janie didn't do anything in a non-flamboyant uh, way, right? So the people he was hanging out with, the women he was dating – you know, they had reputations. He was he was looking to be the biggest and loudest version of himself. And so there are different 
ideas on who these people in this story are. Do you know the name Becca Bramlett? No. Becca Bramlett was his girlfriend around this time. There is a lot of... She was a singer, I guess. Like, I don't know. She never got super famous. But the rumor is that it was Becca Bramlett and Richie Sambora. <laughs> I was just talking about him, uh, like, Friday night with a friend of mine. I mean, regardless of whatever personal problems or whatever, I mean, talk about a, uh, talk about walking away from a lot of money. Yeah. Sambora. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so, all right, so Sambora and his girlfriend. Got it. Check. So, now, Bobby Brown does an interview later where she says, quote, I think a lot of people know and uh, – Janie had talked about how I saw Red was about his previous girlfriend, Becca Bramlett. However, so so she's on the record as saying it's about Becca Bramlett. Mm. However, Janie and Becca remained friends throughout Janie's life. Uh, and in a 2010 interview with Metal Sludge, when asked about past lovers, he stated, quote, I dated Becca for a while. We're still very good friends, which cast doubt on this because there's another interview where he says that whoever I saw red is about, I still hate that bitch quote unquote. So, yeah. Well, if you ever saw celebrity fit club too, man, um, there's, there's a reason to believe that he would change his story. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, the other thing is a lot of these interviews happen around 2011, which is near the end of his life. A very tumultuous time, I think, for him personally. Uh, and yeah, we can talk a little bit about what happens later once he gets into the 2000s and how he's still kind of holding on to this. How am I famous without this band and how am I not just a punchline or a joke about 80s hair metal? I was going to say, I do have a, a fun antidote about the end of hair metal. If we, if it's appropriate time to to mention that, uh, sure, go for it. So, um, it, it was. It, this was an article I read, and it was Janie Lane and I guess someone else in the band, and they were at Columbia, Columbia Records, and they're getting off the elevator, and on that wall normally is this big picture of cherry pie. Oh, dude, this is a true story. I found yeah. this in the research. I was going to bring this up. Go for it. Yeah, and instead, they, it was a big, gigantic picture of Alice in Chains. Yep. And they and and they and that was the what happened moment for them. Yep. That they didn't know what happened, and that that is what happened to them. Yep. 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 That's it. That's and and I think people overuse that anecdote again. That is a little bit of one of these rock and roll bedtime stories, legendary stories, right? Of like this is how it went down. Like one day, you know, I mean, that is very much something that, that seems out of a movie. It's the way that you tell that story in a movie, right? You change the stuff that's on the on the walls yeah. in the office. But um, I mean, that's it works as a great metaphor, even if it's not yeah. entirely true. Uh, so, let, I mean, I feel like if we're gonna get here, if we're gonna spend all this time getting to this point in Janie Lane's career and talking about his love life, we do need to spend a little more time about Bobby Brown. Uh, do, do you want to bring people up to speed on who Bobby Brown is? You'll be better at it than me because you, you got to look at in her book and I never got, I to mean, I'll just, that. I'll just tell you to do this, go to YouTube and look up the cherry pie video. That's Bobby. <laughs> sure. Well, as a teenager at that time, you were not even a glimmer in anyone's eye, Brian. Uh, I probably watched that video a lot. So <laughs> do you know who she was dating at the time of that video? She was not dating Janie Lane. She was dating she was, someone else. 
she was dating another guy in that hemisphere, but I can't remember who it was. Yeah. Was it Vince Neil from Motley Crue? No. no. There are rumors that tie her all the way across the 80s. Like, right, like, oh, then she, well, I mean, I think after Janie Lane, it becomes a Tommy Lee thing. And then Tommy Lee is with her until he marries Pamela Anderson, which I think there probably needs to be a Pamela Anderson, Tommy Lee rock and roll bedtime stories, because that whole thing is more bizarre than I'd even realized. So we won't jump into that too much, because I think we should probably do that as its own episode. Yeah. Uh, But wow, that story's crazy. So (laughs) I didn't know. Like, I just remember the sex tape, but like, I didn't know the backstory on that relationship and how it intersects with Bobby Brown. And so it kind of leads, maybe we need to do that soon. It's like a part two of this episode. So she's dated a bunch of people, but at the time she was dating, Bobby Brown was dating Matthew Nelson. (laughs) I can't live without your love and affection. I remember seeing this uh, CD in stores and being like, this was one of the weird, like stereotypical things where you'd be like, ooh, look at those girls. And you'd be like, oh wait, those are not girls. (laughs) No. I also love that I swear at some point there was a marketing guy who was like, here's the pitch. It's the Righteous Brothers, but hair, big hair. I mean, because it really is like, if you listen to that, it's like. The harmonies are beautiful. The harmonies are all over them. Yeah, I mean, they're beautiful. I want one of those like internet YouTube people to do a thing where they take Nelson songs and make them sound like Righteous Brothers songs like entirely. Because there's only an audience of like three people for that, but I'm one of them. Uh, I it, I own the single of that, by the way. I, I had mean, the of course, single. of course. Yeah. Uh, wow. So shout out to Matthew Nelson. Uh, maybe the only time ever mentioned on this show, but I'm excited to be a part of that. So again, back to this idea of this kind of shorter career for the band or, or short, big arena sized career for the band, you know, by 93, uh, Janie leaves Warrant and tries to pursue a solo career. Warrant continues to try to do stuff for a while, ends up getting dropped by Columbia. He's in and out of the band. I mean, it's a very dysfunctional relationship, like literally like one would have with a with a spouse where it's like, yeah. oh, take me back. Oh, no, you know, you can't come back. Oh, I guess we'll take you back. Like that just happens over and over. But I mean, basically what happens, and we've already alluded to this, is that Janie's alcohol addiction just, it eventually kills him. Um, he can't stay in warrant. He has some DUI stuff that happens. He's in and out of jail because of that sort of stuff for short stints. And then in 2011, he's found dead of acute alcohol poisoning. And the thing that's sad about him is that like people stop paying attention to him. Right. There's literally, so the story goes that he had no identification. He's in a comfort inn, and there's a note in his pocket that says, I am Janie Lane. Yeah, I heard that. I remember hearing that and and hearing that that was, you know, whether that was a tall tale or not, it was a really awful uh, thing to hear. So here's one more thing to layer on top of this. And I want to be very sensitive about this subject. There have been several instances in the last year about some information coming to light 
about his alcoholism and what was the real cause around it. So Bobby Brown wrote a second book. She wrote Dirty Rocker Boys in 2013, and she just wrote a book called Cherry on Top. So last year, she did an interview and said that toward the end of his life, Janie had confided in her that he had been drugged and sexually assaulted by another metal band and their manager early in his career. Wow. Um, yeah, trauma is where everything comes from, but that is, that's not a thing I, I ever heard. Wow, that's awful. Now, this is new. She's just saying, you know, and y- you never know. I'm sure there could be detractors who would call into question what her motivations would be, et cetera, et cetera. But it, there is a a recording that Metal Sludge had at some point that I think was made in 2004 in which Janie has heard saying kind of in passing something about I've been divorced, married, raped, and I don't care um, when somebody's asking him about feuding with the, with the rest of the band. Wow. And so, you know, somebody has then came forward to Metal Sludge and said, yes, that, that happened and was traumatic for him, like anonymously tipped them off or something and said it was, it was true. And then they claim, I guess Metal Sludge claims that they've had, they have the, the stuff to back it up in terms of thinking it was worth publishing. I mean, it really puts a different lens on, you know, on this. And again, we don't, you know, we love this music, right? And these bands. So we're never, the, this, the business of this pod is never to make fun of the, uh, the people we were talking about. But he's so flamboyant, sometimes it can be easy to be dismissive of Warrant with the song cherry pie right but yeah um, yeah but, they they i mean he got he got kind of hosed with that um they got saddled with that song um unfortunately i mean they made a lot of money because of that song <laughs> but, right it's hard to feel it, it's hard to feel bad but also when you really are especially when you are a literally it sounds like a very emotionally tortured person an artist for you to get pigeonholed into something like that you know, you typically money's not going to fix the kind of problems you have. And that's the thing people always miss in that conversation, right? When they're like, oh, you know, yeah, sure. Cry me a river. If I had all that money, I'd think I'd be fine with it. But it's like, that's not, money was never the point, right? For, for a lot of these people. Um, they may say it was, or they may, it may have been at first, but they realize pretty quickly that that's not the case. I mean, there is literally an interview from VH1 where Janie says, my legacy is cherry pie. I could shoot myself in the head for writing that song. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've heard something along that, that lines with that quote too. And so, the relationship he had with the band going back and forth was like, you had mentioned this earlier with like a spouse is like a dysfunctional abusive right, relationship right. with a spouse. And like, if you, if you put it in, if you put it up next to stone temple pilots who at one point, just the, the, the two founding guys, brothers, had an interview on MTV and just said, listen, we're canceling our, our world tour that's supposed to start this week. And it's because our singer is sick and won't take care of himself. Like they just came out and, and decided, you know what? Well, like either they talked to management or whatever, but they decided to take that hard line about it. And it made it very clear about what was going on in that band and who was in charge of that band. Really? 
um, but it was never like the star was always him. But in this case, like the star warrant was always Jeremy Lane, but they toured without him for a really long time. Um, and it's one of those things like who would want to go see warrant without Janie Lane, man. Right. Not me. Right. Count me out. Right. It's, you know, you mentioned this earlier, but cherry pie just to close that loop was not even on the album initially. Um, the story goes that the president of Columbia records called Jenny Lane and basically asked him to make something like love in an elevator. Yeah. And that's boy, that's, that's definitely like it, isn't it? Yeah. And well, and this is again, this is why I am calling for movie about guys trying to make hair metal. Does it exist? If it, it may, I bet our friend Troy knows if there is a movie about the record label side of hair metal, I bet he can point us, point it to it, point us to it. Um, but if, if you can, the email is, uh, we are the story guys at gmail.com. Please send us, uh, that or any comments you have about this story. I know when we do these sorts of things, I mean, Janie Lane is a guy, uh, a lot of people have a lot of real affection for. So if you have stories or corrections or things that you've heard, again, we are doing research, uh, based on uh, you know a lot of conflicting reports when you when you start to look into these stories you can find different uh, reputable websites to say different things and I, I do have to shout out we'll put this in the show notes but a lot of the structure of the story today comes from a, a really great piece on grunge.com uh, the tragic real life story of Warren's Janie Lane um, that was uh, put together really well and really dove into a lot of these specific things written by uh, Karen Cordy uh, and published back in September but really really good stuff and um if you want to uh, check out anything else we're doing, the website is wearethestoryguys.com. We already hit you the email address, wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. If you want to get involved, let us know if there's a story you want us to look into. And um, I, I think, can you do the Tommy Lee, Pamela Anderson uh, saga? I think that's yeah. it. I think it's Tommy Lee versus Pamela Anderson coming very soon. Yeah. Or Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson versus attorneys. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, there was there was a lot. Yeah, keep telling rock and roll stories. We'll do it. <laughs>